Father, this evening we come to you in the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord, even as we have prayed, you heard our prayer, you heard our worship. And even as we have prayed and worshipped, Father, let us not become too familiar with our word. You said in your word, Father, that you look for this man who is of a humble and a contrite spirit and who trembles at your word. This evening I pray, Father, that you would find in this sanctuary and in the days to come, O oh Lord, for those who would hear this message, people who will tremble at your word, And you said in your word, Father, through your apostle Paul, the word of God has got power to to work in those who believe. Help us to believe this evening. Help our unbelief. We cast all our cares upon you. Speak to us this evening. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say in this last hour of time. In Jesus' name, Amen. I've titled uh, this message as, um, excuse me, one minute please. Yeah. Arguments. Arguments is what some of you already knew that I was going to share from here. Arguments is what I wanted to talk about today. You need to understand... God has arguments. We'll talk about what those arguments are. But even as we are here on um, Wednesdays, one of the things that we uh, look at on Wednesdays is Wednesdays is more of a teaching service. Teach you the word of God. Um, there's a difference between teaching and preaching. Teaching is, what it does is that you it demands from you to be attentive. And I'm sure it's difficult for some of you because you've come from work. But I really encourage you to take this up as a challenge. I remember when I was six or seven years back and I used to come on a Wednesday. Hardly I missed a Wednesday service. Very rare. I can just count it in the fingers of my right hand. Or even my left. But um, very few services I missed in all those days. Every time I used to come tired from work sometimes. But Wednesdays used to be even more powerful than Sunday. Used to be, the service used to get over and used to get really fired up. Believe that. It happens. Okay. The word of God has got power to work in those who believe. Okay. In a dry and thirsty land, I long for you. So this is what the sons of Korah would say. In a dry and thirsty land, I long for you. So people who are thirsty and dry are generally retired. And when you receive the word of God, what should happen to you therefore is that you should be encouraged, excited, rejuvenated. I'm sure most of you have been tired. So why should I go through this rigor of arguments is a question that might be coming to your mind, but just hang on for a while and you'll understand what I'm talking about today. On Wednesdays, in the last few Wednesdays, we've been looking at battling against the flesh in different different dimensions. We talked about it. We talked about our three enemies. Okay, the flesh, the world and the devil. And the way we fight each of these 
is different. And we also know from Galatians that the that the spirit is contrary to the flesh and the flesh is contrary to the spirit and that you do not do the things that you want to do. Why? And Romans chapter 8 will say, the mindset of the spirit is contrary to God. It does not submit itself to the law of God. Indeed it cannot. And therefore those who live in the flesh cannot please God. Right? Okay. So, But if you want to please God, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For any man who comes to him must believe that he exists and he is a rewarder. So if you walk in the flesh, you cannot please him. And one of the things that we looked at was if you want to be transformed into a new creation, how does God go about this transformation process is by the renewing of our mind. It is not as R.C. Sproul says, the removal of the mind, no. It is the renewing of the mind. And I, I remember Art Katz made this very famous statement. He said, we Pentecostals have, look at suspicion when we see people thinking. Okay, Just because we think, it doesn't mean that we are not spiritual. No. Peter says, think your, think your way to heaven. That's what Peter will say. Be sober-minded. Oh. Be vigilant. Guard up the loins of your mind. Prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that is going to be revealed to you at the, uh, that is going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, just because you're being asked to think, it does not mean that there is no faith involved. No, 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 no. On the contrary, unless God renews the way you think, you will never be able to have faith. Faith is not contrary logic. No, no, it is not uh, irrational. No, it's absolutely rational. Okay? And that is, God is going to prove to you today. And I'm, I'm just going to talk about that. And that is the reason why I titled this message as arguments. Arguments. Why arguments? In the process of our of our renewal, we know from Ephesians chapter 3 that our mind has got a spirit. It has got a mindset. And that therefore what we need to be renewed is in the spirit of our mind. Therefore we need to be, to change the attitude which, which we, with which we think. The posture that we have in our thinking. And what are those postures? So Second Corinthians chapter 10, we'll talk about that. Second Corinthians chapter 10. I'm choosing the ESV version. Unless otherwise stated. Okay. Second Corinthians chapter 10. This is what he says. Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against, uh, according to the flesh. Okay. Alright. You're not waging war according to the flesh. We are not walking in the flesh, meaning we are walk, we are not walking by f- sight. We are walking by faith. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Okay, they, they have the divine power to destroy strongholds. Just keep that thought in your mind. What are those strongholds? Before we go there, First Corinthians chapter two, verse fourteen to fifteen. You're not waging war according to the flesh. Sometimes, if you are these these things that that we learn in church might sound so. Um, so absolutely opposite to what we normally think. 
You see, that is the reason why 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 to 15, Paul will say, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Because they are foolishness to him, they are folly. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. Meaning, it's not, it's not easy for us to understand the ways of God. That is the reason why God says through Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah chapter 55 says, My ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heaven is high above the earth, so great are my thoughts. And what should therefore the wicked do? Let the wicked man forsake his way. way. I've been, I was, I was growing up that way, you know. You can't do this. I'll prove to you, I'll do it. See, we are all performance oriented and therefore, therefore, it's so very difficult for us when grace comes and says, you know what, the love of God is free in spite of what you are and what you're not. You can still experience the love of God. And Paul will say, you know what he says? He says, I am under obligation. To whom? Paul. I am under obligation to the Greeks and to the barbarians. What do you mean? Just because you are a Greek and a highly cultured fellow, it doesn't mean that you deserve the gospel. Just because you are not a highly cultured fellow like the barbarian does not mean that you are disqualified from the gospel. You see, that is the reason why the gospel is to the poor. And it happens most of the time that Poor people accept the gospel much more easily than Greeks and <laughs> and wise men, you see. So, very difficult for us to understand this. Alright? So, hipsoma is a lofty opinion. Most of the time, lofty opinion about ourselves. Okay? I am not like that. This is not what I am. My parents bought me Brought me up better. What ha- whatever, no? My intavanta ledu. That's Telugu. You see? But the point here is this. We are all capable to commit the worst crime, actually. We have very high opinions about ourselves. Lofty ideas about ourselves. Strongholds. Strongholds in the mind. And therefore, therefore, see, you will not get completely delivered unless you are free in your mind. You see? Mind has to be renewed. Unless you are renewed in your mind, you will never be delivered completely. And if you want to experience deliverance at increasing levels in your life, it is not, not, it's not that everybody becomes completely whole in, in a single day. No, it's not, it's not what I'm talking about. I'm not even talking about perfection. I'm talking about moment by moment, day after day, day by day, there is an increasing level of maturity that we, that we aim for. And at the same time, God provides it for us, even as we surrender to His will in our lives. So aim for that. And, and and how does God generally do this deliverance and which will which will last long, which will go with you for till you go to the grave, is the deliverance which comes through systematic teaching and surrendering to the word of God every time that you have an opportunity. Whether it be your daily devotions or whether it be coming to church like this, gathering together as a body of believers to listen to the teaching of the word of God. That is how systematically God has to 
replace the lies in our minds by the truth of the word of God. That is how renewal happens. That is the reason why Paul says in Romans chapter 6 verse 17, he says, I thank God that when the doctrine was taught to you, you became obedient from the heart. You see? And therefore, the first thing that after 3,000 people got saved, after they got baptized, they met daily for what? The apostles' doctrine. You see? That is what we endeavor to do. So that is one way to do it. I mean, and in fact, the most effective way to do it, to get delivered, is to continuously, constantly be washed by the water of the word of God. That's what Raj was praying, no? Wash us, God. And we need cleansing every day of our lives. So, height, opinions, which makes us doubt the love of God. Strongholds of the mind. And we look at arguments today. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2, that's what we were talking about. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. This is what is happening right now. Okay? Renewal of your mind. Don't take things lightly. One one preacher says, every time believers come together, it's a once and for all occasion which will never come back again. Okay? So, you're here by divine appointment, so just never take things for granted in your life. Think about this, okay? This is think your way to heaven. Proverbs chapter 22, very powerful verse. Proverbs chapter 22, verses 17 to 21. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. And apply... Read that. Apply your mind to my knowledge. This is the New American Standard Bible, NASB. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, that they may be ready on your lips. And the next verse. So that your trust may be in the Lord. I have taught you today, even you, have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge to make you know the certainty of the words of truth that you may correctly answer him who sent you? You see? What is happening in the teaching of the word of God is God is systematically, he's teaching you the oracles and if you start thinking on them, Paul tells Timothy, all the things that I have taught you, think on those things which I taught you, the Lord will give you understanding. You see? Think your way to to heaven. We know this verse, very famous verse. Let's look at that verse. Romans 10 verse 17. Let us all read it together. Okay? Read it please. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay, that's the New King James Version. Another translation, the English Standard Version. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Read that again everybody. Let's read it. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Interesting. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. Replacing God with Christ because Romans chapter 9 verse 5 will say Christ is God. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of the Messiah. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of the anointed one. Okay. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the anointed word.
What does it mean? It means the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. So if faith has to arise in each one of us, the word of God has to be anointed by the spirit of God because scripture says in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the letter kills, but the spirit brings life. And the words that I speak to you, who speaks to you? The words that I I speak to you, who said that? Jesus Christ said that. The words that Jesus Christ spoke to you, hopefully through me, are both spirit and life. In other words, there will not be any faith instilled in your hearts unless the word that comes is anointed. And therefore we pray for the anointing of the word of God. Anointed. That's the reason why we say, Lord, let there be an unction and an anointing over the speaking and over the hearing of the word. What did I say? Unction and an anointing over not only the speaking, but also those who hear the word, the word. Good news. And most of the times when you come to the church, it does not appear as good news. It appears most of the times as bad news. It's very tough. Many times. You don't like to accept it. Very, very difficult. But might sound very tough, very harsh sometimes. Okay. But you know what? Like Zach Bunan said, on the day of judgment, brother, you may hate me now. That's what he told one of his congregation members. He said, brother, you may hate me now for all the things that I have spoke to you. But on the day of judgment, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you will thank me. So what is happening now, even if you're listening to something so radical and it kind of disturbs you, it is still good news. Okay. But look at what it says. This is talking about the children of Israel in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2. The, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard, even though it was good news, even though it was anointed by the most anointed person. Who was that person? Moses. But the word which they heard did not what? Profit them not being mixed with Faith, not being mixed with faith. Therefore, you can come and sit under anointed teaching and it still may not touch you because you are not mixing it with faith. That is the reason why you are speaking for what? Let there be an unction and anointing over the speaking and over the hearing. The hearers also need anointing to accept it. Lord, this is for my good. It might be very, very difficult for me to understand it and come to terms with it. It might radically change or rather require from us to change all the priorities that we have in our lives. You see? But it is good news. What is this being mixed with faith? You may ask this question. Which of what is being mixed with faith? What is mixed with faith? Look at another translation to get an idea, okay? This is the English Standard Version. For good news came to us, just us to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united to us by faith. In other words, what is happening? When I am telling you something which is true based upon the word of God, 
you are not agreeing. You are not agreeing. You are not united. You are interpreting like this. This can also be interpreted like that. You are not united. You know why? Because there are already arguments in your mind which are telling you, you know what? Don't agree. Don't agree with him. I'm mean, like some pastors keep telling, you know. Um, yeah, I listen to Pastor James's preaching, but you can't live like that. What will happen to you? You are not being united by faith. And therefore, it will not profit you even if it is coming from the most anointed of preachers. You got that? That is the reason why the most hardened sinners are not found in the world. They are found in the church. It's true. So true. It is so difficult to get a Christian to be saved than a guy who is outside to be saved. So difficult. So difficult. You know why? Because they are not united with you. They already have prejudices and and presuppositions in in their mind and they will never accept you with an open mind. That is the reason why Paul tells about the Bereans. He says, you know what? These people from Berea, they are much more nobler than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, but they went and searched the scriptures and to see what was agreeing with scriptures, they said, yes, this is this is According to scriptures, let us believe it. Let us believe it. Let us believe it. They accepted the word with readiness of mind and they also went and searched the scriptures because they were looking for obedience. They were not looking... A lot of people have arguments. Lot of arguments. For example, why should I come and to, to, to the church on Sunday? Can't I worship from home? After all, we are listening to the same same message. Let us click it online and listen. But you know what's... Word of God says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. Who's there? I am there. Who's that? Jesus is there. So you forgot that he's there. And you're not going to experience him because you already have an argument saying, you know what? I'm not going to come. Why do you go to this church, brother? That is very close to our home. Think about it now. So many people make a choice. And therefore what, what people do is that, okay, fine, we'll, ha- we'll have a satellite service. We'll have a live, live streaming over there. So you can have the experience of live fellowship, but you don't have to pay the price to come. Let's see. Think about Jesus, no? He had to walk 70 miles and to Get baptized under a man. God himself. Think about the arguments that might be coming into his mind. Lord, why should I walk 70 miles? Let him come to me. I am the creator of the, of the universe. And when he comes into the waters, John says, no, 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 no. no. I should not be baptizing uh, you. You should be baptizing me. And he says, you know what? Let it be so, for it is befitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And he baptizes him. And the moment he baptizes, oh, He hears a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased because you know what? Every argument which was telling him not to obey, he killed it. So questions that I want to ask you today, 
what are the arguments you have in your mind? Let us look at some arguments. Arguments, which I'm going to talk about. Arguments against guilt and condemnation. Meaning, God gives arguments which will actually neutralize the arguments that you have, that you should feel guilty and you should feel condemned all the time. Arguments against defeat. Arguments against anxiety. Arguments against pride. You know, pride is an argument. Anxiety is an argument. Defeat is an argument. Condemnation and guilt is an argument. It's an argument. So how does, how does God answer arguments? With another argument. I don't know how he argues with us. He argues from what we call as an argument from the lesser to the greater. What did I say? From the lesser to the greater. There's a fancy word in Latin. I'm not going to use that. So you read the Bible. You read all the arguments. But you never thought that there were arguments which are called a fortiori arguments. For you, you might know what I'm talking about. A priori, a fortiori, a posteriori, a reductio absurdum. You know what I'm talking about? Those who know mathematics know what I'm talking about. There are arguments God gives. Arguments which will tell you, you know what? I did the biggest thing. Will I not do small things? For example, you're feeling guilty and condemned. And this is what I used to always sense. And that is the reason why many of the times when I used to preach, used to be heavy with condemnation. And I'm guilty of that. I agree. When I used to remember, uh, Pastor James and Sister Elsa used to tell us, Vijay, more grace, more grace, more grace, Vijay, more grace. You're like, like law, 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 law. Come on. That is not how God teaches I should say, this is how I am. You know, argument. Arguments against guilt and condemnation. Until, of course, I I had to go through failure. And God has a way of humbling us, no? Where, boy, I mean, I'm facing guilt. And and how am I going to come and share the word of God? Lord, how am I going to use? Are you going to use a guilty vessel like me? And many of you might have failed the Lord so much, so much. I looked at them and said, Lord, why did you choose me? You would have done a better job. This fellow. You see, every time you, know, you get discouraged, discouraging arguments, feeling feeling so low about yourself, and you say, Lord, I, you can't use me, Lord. Come on, I'm such a bad sinner. And you're going to use me? I mean, I, that guy would have done more justice, justice to, to this position, no? God says, you know, I'm going to choose whom I'm going to, who, whoever I'm going to choose. I will have mercy upon whoever I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whoever I will, com- have, I will have compassion. Don't argue with me. That is his argument for my argument. So there are arguments. You feel guilty. You feel condemned. And it is not God's will that we should go through condemnation and guilt every day of our lives. See, you can never overcome a sin in your life for, for which you always feel guilty and condemned. You have to be set free from condemnation and guilt. That is the reason why Romans chapter 8 will say, for there is therefore, what did I say? For there is therefore, 
Now, thank you. There is, there is for, there is therefore, now, now, even now, even now, at this moment, what all you did through this day, you might have said so many things. For example, I was coming, uh, in my car, at the intersection, there was one guy who came and uh, he looked at my car, it looked absolutely dirty. And he came and he, he wanted to show off his new instrument and he on my, on my windshield and he wiped it. I said, you made it worse. Kya kiya tune? What did you do? And I was a little rude to him, okay? Immediately rude to him. A small kid. Oh, he just wanted to, wants to sell his equipment, no? Small kid and he just was rude. I, he left and my wife looked at me. You should have been a little more kinder to him. <sighs> I'm going to preach now, Lord. <laughs> it happens many times when I come back from preaching. I'm like... Preached a real fired up message. I know it. Sometimes I know that I preached a fired up message and I come back home and then I'm like, Abigail, what did you do? Uh, which way? Conscience called my wife, okay? <laughs> You're such a good speaker. But what? How are you so nasty? I'm like, oh God. Immediately, you know what? I need no condemnation now, even as I preach. The problem here though is, many of you don't feel guilty and condemned at all. Think about that song, no? I was teaching the song to my, to not my, to our children at Grace Tabernacle Learning Center. It's all, it's the, 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 the title of the song is At the Cross. Many of you know those, those that, that song, At the Cross, At the Cross, where I first saw the light, the burden of my heart was rolled away. It was there by faith, I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the way. And then the stanza goes, Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And did my Sovereign die? That's a question, that's the argument in his mind. Alas, and did my savior bleed and did my sovereign die? Would he devote his sacred head for such a worm as I? And then I go online and I want to listen to the tune and somebody changes the word worm to wretch. Meaning, you know what Jesus himself said, right? Through Isaiah the prophet, he said, Jacob, my, oh you worm, Jacob. See, unless we feel like a worm, we will never appreciate the work of the cross and we will never say, alas, and did my Savior bleed. The reason why we don't have Really anointed worship songs is because we don't have arguments which make us sufficiently guilty and condemned. And then he goes on to say, was it for crimes that I have done? He groaned upon the tree. Was it for crimes that I have done? If you committed crimes, what does it make you? A criminal? Oh, no, come on. I'm no criminal, God. But was he not a criminal? If any layman was going and he was looking at that mount, 
he would look at three criminals and he would say, and he would say, this criminal number one, he would look at Jesus and he would not say, that is not the son of God, that is criminal number two. Criminal number three. And then the songwriter says, was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity and grace unknown and love beyond degree. So you can never call something amazing until you sense that you are a criminal, you see. And then he says, would not the sun in darkness hide? Would not the sun in darkness hide and shut its glories in when Christ the mighty maker died for man the creature's sin? At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, all the burden of my heart was rolled away. You never experience true repentance until you experience true guilt and true condemnation. But it is not God's will that you should be forever condemned and forever feel guilty. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved our wretch. That's how he felt like. And who is this guy? John Newton, the guy who traded slaves. You see? So therefore now, if I have to remove the guilt, what is the argument I should give you? So let us see the first argument. The argument from the lesser to the greater and the only argument God gives you is His Word of God. And the Word of God is going to reveal to you the person of Jesus Christ. So when you read, like John Piper says, right? when you read the Bible, you might be looking at print, black and white letters and alphabets and words. Sorry, not alphabets. Alphabet and words. And then what should happen? Even as you read, the letter and the pink and the, and the ink and everything has to disappear and the connections have to be made with the person who wrote that book. You see? And who wrote that book? It's the spirit of Christ who wrote that book. He himself wrote that book. And that is the reason why he says in John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 39 to 40, you read the scriptures, in them you think that you have eternal life, but they testify about me. And you don't find me. So the argument from the lesser to the greater. The first argument. What then shall we say of these things? Question mark. A rhetorical question. If God be for us, who be for us? If God, the creator of the world, you see the, 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 the argument from the lesser to the greater, if he is there for us, who can be against us? But be sure that he is with you first. And then, he who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely, graciously give us all things? What are those all things? You know what? The greatest gift a man can experience is the gift of forgiveness. Did you know that? A gift to walk free from a guilty conscience. 
Look at what it says, arguments against guilt and condemnation. The first argument, the first argument, he says that if God gave his own son, how will he not with him freely give us all things? How did, how does, how does that argue against the feelings and the arguments and the thoughts that we have, uh, that which make us feel guilty and feel condemned? Look at, look at this argument, the contrary argument. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? In other words, who can take you to court? Think about the highest court in this world. The International Court of Justice. A bunch of losers, basically. Who can do nothing good. Okay. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? You are God's elect. Can anybody bring any charge which will tell you that Tell them and uh, and convict you of a crime. Look at what he says. It is God who? You know what he says? The highest court in the universe has acquitted you. So, who can bring any charge against you? The argument. Who can make you feel guilty if God himself, who is the most righteous judge, do you know? He's the He's called the judge of all creation. And that's what Abraham understood. Will the judge of all creation do wrong? He's called the judge of all creation. It is he who justifies the highest court in the universe has said, you know what? Not guilty. Peter, not guilty. Moshe, not guilty. Raj, not guilty. Who said that? The creator said that. Romans chapter 8 verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is just not faithful. He is also what? Just to forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness and give us a clear conscience. You know what? What an experience to have a clear conscience, don't you? Don't, I mean, when God says you're forgiven, and that's exactly what happens when this guy, when those five, uh, um, when those bunch of friends bring this guy and they put him from the roof, he kikes, the guy comes down and Jesus looks at him and he looks at the crowd and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Who can forgive sin except God? The son of man got authority both in heaven and on earth to forgive sin. Is it easy for to say, to say, it is, is it easy? The question is rhetorical. Is it easy to say, pick up your mat and walk? Or is it easy to say, or is it more difficult to say, your sins are forgiven? Meaning, meaning, you know what? A guy can be walking with absolutely perfect body, but he is still lame. If his guilt is not removed. So I can heal him, but this fellow will be a wretch all his days because you know what? His sins are not forgiven. You see? That's an argument. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Boy, who said this? God said that. He's going to forgive. So in other words, if he has forgiven you, Who can bring any charge against you? Can Satan bring any charge? Can you yourself bring any charge against you? Because a lot of people have a tough time forgiving themselves. Because they have a very high opinion about themselves. I, Vijay, 
How could I do this God? 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 God is small, I. I mean, a lot of people also say, I never expected this from you. You know, yeah, that is the reason why I like Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. The first time, I never, I, I used to read the Bible uh, without knowing the meaning of the word dismay. I knew that there was something like very close to discouragement, etc., etc. But I didn't really know what the word dismay means until recently. So I went online and I checked, what is the word dismay? Dismay means something unexpected happened in your life. For example, do not be dismayed. How could this happen to me, God? Okay, fine. You have a very lofty opinion about yourself. I never expected that girl to do this to me. I thought I married a gentleman. He turned out to be a jerk. God knew it, that he was a jerk. And therefore he says, do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will guide you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand or the right hand of my righteousness. See? I. It's not about them. It is about me. God. So even when we serve in the kingdom of God, that's what, that's the reason that Peter will say in First Peter chapter 4. Chapter 4 he says, serve one another. Okay? Use the gift that God has given you to serve one another as a stewards of the grace of God. As a stewards of the grace of God. Those who speak, let him speak as the oracle of God. Those who serve, let them serve in the strength that God provides so that in all things, somebody can complete, Christ may be glorified. To him belong dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's not about me. So even when I'm obeying, that is the reason why he tells Romans chapter 1 verse 5, it says, obedience of faith among the nations for whose namesake? For his namesake. It is not about me. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. You see? It is God who justifies. So a lot of people have a problem forgiving themselves because they have a very lofty and high opinion about themselves. They will never say like Paul, in my flesh there is nothing good. They will never say, I am the chief of all sinners. No, no, no. I'm a sinner, but I made many mistakes. No, I committed sins, but I'm not necessarily a sinner. Arguments. Necessary, sufficient. Necessary and sufficient. So, who shall bring any charge? Then, what if I fail like the way I do every day, no? Not consciously, I mean, unconsciously that I didn't plan to be nasty to that kid on the road, but it just happened. (laughs) Okay, it just happened. So what happens when I do that? Should I feel condemned and feel guilty all the day? No, 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 no. Look at what it says, the next verse. Um, The next verse which says, it is Christ who died for you. Who is it to condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who was at the right hand of God. 
who indeed is interceding for us. How does this work? John will tell us. 1 John chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Please, I'm, I want you guys not to sin. Okay? Don't consciously sin. But, even if anyone does sin, you see, see when you read the book of John, it actually uh, causes a lot of trouble because it says, anyone who is born of God does not sin. When you read that verse, does it scare you? Yes, it does. Therefore, we go to other translations which will give us a little bit of comfort. He whoever is born of God does not keep on sinning. Meaning, okay, okay, slowly comes to that point. Fine. It's steady state. It's going to take a while. But John already anticipated that. Okay, he's not saying that we will never sin. No, 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 no. He says, but even if it, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. He took the whole world's sin. Can't he take your sin? Who took that sin? God himself took that sin. Therefore, who is to condemn? If he is interceding on your behalf, who is interceding on your behalf? God saves you from the wrath of God. And God intercedes for you through his son. By the spirit. He does it all. So, why should you feel condemned? But the problem here is not this, no? When God has done so many things for us, how many of us really don't want to sin? Is the question. See, it's very easy for us to take this message. If I were to stop the message over here, which alleviated us from a lot of responsibility. No, 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 no. Whenever you experience forgiveness from God, God, it says in Romans, I'm sorry, First Peter chapter 2 verse 18, he says, he himself bore our sins up in his body on the tree so that we may die to sin and live for righteousness. Die to sin and live for righteousness. Meaning, God has forgiven you. He holds no condemn. I mean, you don't have to feel condemned and you don't have to feel guilty about your sins and your sins and your sins. to death, the deeds of the body, you will what? Live. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So if you are evil fathers and can give good gifts to your children, how many of us ask diligently? You know what? One of the things you need to do always every day of your life, read the word of God and it is not going to be easy to read the word of God. Honestly, even if it is a practice, even today, after having read the word so much, preached so much, if I read the word for 15 minutes, it's a struggle sometimes. It's a struggle, honestly. Yesterday I read Psalm 15 and I, I started reading Psalm 16. And I got depressed. I said, sir, Lord, I can't read it. It's too difficult. Getting distracted. And sometimes... It's all, of course, the enemy trying to bring distraction into my life. But at the same time, it's not going to be easy. What you need constantly every day of your life is a fresh inpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you, without Him, you can do nothing. And you have to ask. Otherwise, you will just go to the Bible and read. Finished. Did you know what has been taught? No. The challenge these days I've been, I've been doing when I'm reading the scripture, you know, I want to think the way the guy thought when he's writing the scripture. I want to think like that. 
So it's going to be frust- It's not easy. It is not going to be easy. Just, I know so many of you struggle reading the word of God. I know that. I know because I get a lot of uh, feedback. Very difficult for me to read the Bible. Very difficult to memorize. Very difficult. You know what? It is not because you have a very low memory. No, 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 no. There's something which is blocking and it is not easy to break through unless you ask God for help. That is the reason why Psalm 16 says, Lord, you are my refuge. Lord, you are my refuge. I have nothing good apart from you, O Lord. Unless you empower me, I can't even read the Bible. And how am I go- how are you going to empower me? Lord, you are my father, Lord. You are my father. That is the reason why it says, Romans chapter 8 verse 13, God has not given us a spirit of bondage that takes us back to fear, but the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. Father, the Spirit Himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So difficult. I know some of some of us when to relate to God as Father is difficult. Because our father figures have been messed up. So difficult. But I'm sure many of the fathers, when you ask for a fish, they didn't give you a serpent. If they couldn't give you a fish, at least they gave you okra, lady's finger. At least. How much more your heavenly father? That is, arguments against defeat. Next, arguments against anxiety. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be, I'll be, I'll Because I want her to know everything completely, you know. Whole, I should, she should grow, grow. The pigeons in your balcony who take up the AC vent and make a mess of it. Look at the birds in the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than this? You see the argument again from the lesser to the greater. If God takes care of the sparrow, will he not take care of you who is made in the image of God? When the made in the image of God. forget. Surely they may forget. Yet I will not. A mother can never forget. Especially after they have babies. Fathers sleep peacefully and they can snore. But the mother is always conscious about the baby. Very conscious. And that's, you know, my wife keeps telling me, you know, she used to sleep very nicely before we had children. No problem with sleep at all. But once we had Abigail and Emmanuel, her sleep patterns completely got messed up. And she has a tough time sleeping now. Very tough. One, one kick, and those days she used to be in pain because of after the operation and she used to find me sleeping. So, Vijay, don't you care? I'm sleeping happily. I never had any problems with sleep. But you know what? I'm not a mother. I'm different. And you know what? He says, mother can forget. It's a very simple word for some of you, but you have to relate to this. Children, I'm telling you, you have to relate to this. You have to. After becoming a parent, some, everything in my life changed. Everything in my life changed. Especially after having girls. Okay. Really? Everything in my life changed. So he says, 
A mother can forget her child. It's possible these days. But yet I will not forget you. Yet I will not forget you. I don't know. I'm, I think I'm speaking to somebody here. I didn't say. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are continually before me. Your walls. Your pictures. Check, check. <clears throat> that is arguments against anxiety. Therefore, if you really take this to heart, if you are not anxious, what happens when you are not anxious? You become what? What is the opposite of anxiety? It's generosity. Do you know that? What is the opposite of anxiety is generosity. Let me prove that to you. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 to 6. Keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. That is arguments against anxiety. And finally, very close to anxiety. Anxiety and pride go together. Okay. Anxiety and pride go together. What is the opposite of pride? Humility. Why do people, why are people not humble? Because they are anxious. Really? Okay. Let's see. First Peter chapter 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that you, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. But you said that you are anxious because you are, I mean, you are proud because you are anxious, right? Look at the next verse. I didn't say that. Somebody said that. Some of you are reading it for the first time. I can see. You are waiting. Casting all your anxieties on him because he... Now tell me, how is this? How are you going to relate to this? No, I'll tell you something, no? Many of you have a problem submitting to your boss. I'll tell you why. You're anxious that he will steal your idea. If you are a software engineer and you wrote a code, the boss will say, Manchu in the code, na perpetu. Put my name. And it happens in movies a lot. Writer writes a very nice story. You know, it happens in Hollywood and Tollywood and Bollywood. Very nice script and very nice screenplay. And he takes it to a producer and says, Sir. <laughs> he says, he's looking at me. I know, I know many stories like that. Sir, fantastic idea. And he looks at that and he says, fantastic idea. Sell it to me. Inta kashtabada. Why can I, how, why should I give my, my idea to you? My idea, my, my idea. Think about it, no? It happens in companies. If I submit to this fellow, he will make my life miserable. Anxiety. If I submit to my husband, he's going to take advantage of me. 
If I submit to the eldership in the church, they will make me do every kind of stuff. Am I speaking to somebody today? And you know what he says? Humble yourself. You know what? The person who humbled himself the most was who? Was that? Jesus, right? Think about it, no? Did everybody take advantage of him? Yes. But could he be actually taken advantage of? Never. 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 A lot of you have a problem, no? I remember um, when I was in old, uh, when I was in uh, old professors, right? When they, when you write a paper, generally your name has to be first because you worked hard. But the professor will say, "Not your name first. Put his name first, or my name first. And you say, "But I worked hard." Will you? Can you submit? Will you say, Lord, you're sovereign over my, over my, over my, uh, life and you have allowed this situation to happen to my life so that I can humble myself and I can cast all my case upon you because you care for me? Can you? You know what? The word of God has got power to work in those who believe. Philippians 2, verse 5. You need to have an argument, right? To humble yourself this way. So the argument is always from the lesser to the greater. If Christ himself humbled, what about you is the question, right? Have this mind among, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bond servant actually. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross, and everybody was taking advantage of him. Everybody, including his disciples. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So if Christ humbled himself this way, do you have an argument? Not to humble yourself. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This evening, I don't know why, what, whom, to whom God is speaking this evening. No. It often happens, especially in the last point that I was talking about. Anxiety is, many people, I, I've heard this over and over again. I can't submit to you because I don't know what will happen to me. What will happen to what will happen to us if if we give ourselves to this? See, but that is the way to exaltation. Promotion doesn't come from the left or to the right, but promotion comes from God. If you allow Him to humble you, even to the point of death, like Jesus. I mean, we don't have to be like this, but for us, death on the cross is humbling ourselves and being obedient to our managers. It says, slaves be subject to your masters in all things, even to the unjust. 
Today's, today's language, software engineers to managers. See? Students to teachers. Parents, sorry, children to parents. Even if your parents are non-believing. You see? May the Lord help us today. And I believe God has given us sufficient arguments and there are no excuses for us, right? See, the argument is always from the lesson. If Jesus himself humbled himself like that, what else do we have to do? Is a question. Shall we pray this evening? Bow your heads this evening and say, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. Help me. We have heard this in several contexts, in several ways. But God possibly is telling some of you in some areas, Lord, help me, teach me, teach me. So many arguments in my mind, O oh Lord. So many, so many arguments. Which always prompt me and cause me to be disobedient most of the time. Help me, help me, Lord. Help us, help us, O oh Lord, to experience grace in our lives, O oh Lord, every day, every day, every moment. O oh Lord, without you, we can do nothing. We confess, O oh Lord, without you, we can do nothing, O oh Lord. And on that day, O oh Lord, we will have no arguments. We will have no arguments. Because you said, O oh Lord, Father, you said, sin shall not have dominion over your life because you are no longer under law, but under grace. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, have he not with him freely, graciously give us all things that we need for life and godliness. Therefore, O Lord, enable us, Lord Father, to, to, to accept this, O Lord, to our hearts. Enable us not to, to fight this. So many of us fighting God, asking questions, why Lord, why this, why this? God is sovereign. And let not the situations and the trials that you're going through not teach you a lesson, but and make you bitter. But learn the lessons and come out better through every trial and situation that you're going through. Thank you, Father, for this time. In Jesus' name, Amen.